0: Good afternoon, everyone. It is now 1.01 PM. My name is Bavette Brackett, and this is the regular meeting of the Commission <coughs> on Community Investment and Infrastructure for Tuesday, June 20th, 2023. I'd like to welcome everyone to joining us today. Um, today's meeting is being held in a hybrid format. Members of the public can participate and provide comments both in person at City Hall and remotely through WebEx. Thank you, staff and guests who will also be participating in today's meeting. Madam Secretary, can you please call the first item?
1: Thank you, Madam Chair. The first order of business is item one, roll call. Commission members, please respond when I call your name. Commissioner Aquino. Present. Commissioner Drew. Present. Commissioner Scott. Present. Vice Chair Ludlum. Present. And Chair Brackett. Present. All members of the commission are present. Madam Chair, we have a quorum. The next order of business is item two, announcements. A, the next regular meeting is scheduled on Tuesday, July 18th, 2023 at 1 p.m. B, announcement of prohibition of sound producing electronic devices during the meeting. Please be advised that the ringing of and use of cell phones, pagers, and similar sound producing electronic devices are prohibited at this meeting. Please be advised that the chair may order the removal from the meeting room of any persons responsible for the ringing of or use of a cell phone pager or other similar sound producing electronic device. See announcement of public comment procedures. Please be advised a member of the public has up to three minutes to make pertinent public comments on each agenda item unless the commission adopts a shorter period on any item. During each public comment period, members of the public attending the meeting in person will have an opportunity to provide their comments. It is strongly recommended that members of the public who wish to address the commission, fill out a speaker card and submit the completed card to the commission secretary. Members of the public who are joining remotely will be instructed to follow the the following instructions. Please dial 415-655-0001 When prompted, enter the access code, which is 2590-760-7128. Press the pound sign, then the pound sign again to enter the call. When prompted, press star three to submit your request to speak. When you dial star three, you will hear the following message. You have raised your hand to ask a question. Please wait to speak until the host calls on you. When you hear your line has been unmuted, this is your opportunity to provide your public comment, and you will have three minutes please speak clearly and slowly, you will be placed back on mute once you are done speaking. You can stay on the line and continue to listen to the meeting, but you can also choose to hang up. If you you are planning to provide a public comment on any items on today's agenda, it's recommended that if you're participating remotely to call the public comment line ahead of time to allow you to listen to the meeting live and to prevent you from experiencing delays. Today's meeting materials are available on our website at sfocii.org, under commission, then the public meetings tab. The next order of business is item three, report on actions taken at a previous closed session meeting, if any, there are no reportable actions. Next order of business is item four, matters of unfinished business. There are no matters of unfinished business. Next order of business is item five, matters of new business consisting of consent and regular agenda. First is the consent agenda. 5A, approval of minutes, regular meeting of June 6, 2023. Madam Chair.
0: Madam Secretary, do we have anyone present in the public who wishes to provide public comment on meeting minutes?
1: At this time, if there are any members of the public who wishes to provide public comment on this item, please call 415-655-0001, enter access code two five nine zero seven six zero seven one two eight followed by the pound sign, then the pound sign again to enter the call. Press star then three to be placed in the queue. If you're already listening to us by phone, please press star three if you'd like to provide a comment. We'd like to begin by inviting anyone who joined us in person to come up to the podium to provide their comment. If there are members of the public who joined us online and would like to provide a comment, again, please press star three on your mobile devices. Madam Chair, it does not appear we have any members of the public wishing to comment
0: on this item. We will now close public comment and move over to our fellow commissioners for any questions, comments, um, or motions. Do we have a motion for the minutes?
2: Yes, we do have a motion for the minutes, Madam Chair. I move that the minutes be accepted as read with any necessary corrections.
3: I would.
0: I second. We have a first and second, Madam Secretary, can you call for the vote?
1: Commission members, please announce your vote for the consent item when I call your name. Commissioner Aquino. Aye. Yes. Commissioner Drew.
4: Uh, I abstain since I wasn't at the meeting.
1: Commissioner Scott. Aye. Vice Chair Ludlam. Aye. And Chair Brackett. Aye. Madam Chair, the vote is four ayes and one abstention.
0: The motion carries. Madam Secretary, can you call the next item please?
1: Next is the regular agenda, item number 5B, confirming the issuance of new money tax allocation bonds as permitted in sections 34177.7, A1A and 34177.7, A1B, OF THE CALIFORNIA HEALTH AND SAFETY CODE TO FINANCE, ONE, AFFORDABLE HOUSING OBLIGATIONS IN AN AGGREGATE PRINCIPAL AMOUNT, NOT TO EXCEED $30 MILLION, AND TWO, INFRASTRUCTURE IN THE Transbay PROJECT AREA IN AN AGGREGATE PRINCIPAL AMOUNT, NOT TO EXCEED $45 MILLION, AND APPROVING PRELIMINARY AND FINAL OFFICIAL STATEMENTS, A CONTINUING DISCLOSURE CERTIFICATE, and other related documents and actions. Affordable housing obligations, Transbay infrastructure obligations, discussion and action resolution number 21-2023. Director Koslowski.
5: Thank you, you, Secretary Cruz. Um, Members of the public, commissioners, these are uh, new money bonds for Transbay projects. You've seen these projects previously in their design phase. Um, You also initially approved the bond issuance process at a prior meeting. This is one of the final steps uh, prior to the final bond issuance. And uh, this item, I think John Daigle, the the OCI's debt manager will do the presentation. Thanks, John.
6: Thank you, Director (laughs) Kasselowski. Good afternoon. Chair Brackett, members of the uh, Commission, my name is John Daigle. I am the uh, Senior Financial Analyst and uh, Debt Manager for OCII. So we have two, um, two, two bond issues here, basically uh, under our um, under the same credit. So they will issue under a single offering document, which is uh, one of the key things that you'll be approving today. So it's 2023A, which is affordable housing, and 2023 2023- B, which is uh, transbay infrastructure, it's broken into two pieces because one is taxable—the housing—and the, housing, and the uh, other is infrastructure, which is tax exempt. <clears throat> sorry, it's a little hard to see over here. So, the enforceable obligations involved here, as, as briefly um, headlined by the uh, by Director Keslowski, are <clears throat> affordable housing. Uh, 4,434 units, uh, we currently have 140 Mr. units. Mr. Daigle, I'm yes?
2: sorry, can you speak into the mic? We're, it's, you're muffled. Is that better? A lot better.
6: Okay. I'll Thank stay, you. I'll stay close. Um, so we currently have those 4,434 units, we currently have under construction 140 units and 981 units in pre-development. The Transbay infrastructure obligations are required by the Transbay uh, Implementation Agreement. The enabling authority um, for the uh, two, two issues um, which are, was recited in the title, so California Health and Safety Code uh, 34177.7A1A and 34177.7A1B. The purpose of uh, Series A is to construct or move 537 units of uh, affordable housing towards construction, Transbay 2 East, 184 units, Transbay 2 West, 151 units, and then pre-development in Transbay 4 for 202 units for a total of 537. Series B is the tax exempt series, and that will um, finance Transbay Block 3 Park. The uh, approval process to this point um, is, is outlined here or laid out. Uh, so it started in April 18th of uh, 23 when we approved the uh, budget, uh, or you approved the budget, uh, which included expenditures uh, related to these bonds, um, and then the conditionally authorization, subject to DOF approval of the uh, of the bond issuance in March, uh, oversight of board um, following approval, and then finally Department of uh, Finance approved the bonds in April of 2023. Uh, the final step will be the um, Board of Supervisors uh, final approval of the OCII budget, which also includes uh, an item um, approving the issuance of the bonds specifically. We expect that to be available. It's usually in the last week of July, and we'll go to market after that. This is a, um, a layout of the um, sources and uses for the uh, bond proceeds. Um, it's um, it's pretty clear. Uh, with the Series A bonds, there's uh, 26,865, which is uh, actually... The expected face amount of the bonds <clears throat> and then the uh, that contributes uh, 24 million into the project fund um, 1.97 million into the um, debt service reserve fund uh, cost of issuance of about 200,000 underwriters discount of 96 and um, uh, bond insurance, which currently looks like it would be effective, but we won't know uh, until we actually go to market of uh, 592. <clears throat> and then others, uh, that's basically a rounding, uh, rounding number. Um, with the Series B bonds, are, uh, there's an expected uh, premium. And that, that means basically you're selling 40, uh, 490 in principal amount of the bonds. But because the interest rate on the bonds is a little higher, um, you, charge, you, you get a premium. In other words, they have to pay extra to get a higher yield. And that's a mathematical um, uh, computation to figure out you know, <coughs> if that works for us if that effectively saves us money. And it does, or we wouldn't do it. And if the day came to sell the bonds and that didn't make sense, we wouldn't do it. We do that under the advice of our uh, financial advisor and investment bankers. <clears throat> so in uh, the case of the B bonds, it's $37 million into the project fund, uh, $3.98 um, for the debt service reserve. And uh, cost of issuance, $300. Uh, underwriters discount, $145. Uh, insurance, again, $955. And then uh, 1000 in uh, rounding at the bottom. Um, Debt service reserve, if you're wondering that, that's a, uh, sort of, it's a cash credit enhancement for the bonds. Um, and it's sort of what the market requires uh, of a credit at this level. So what it means basically is there's money there if we had uh, a shortage of revenue to cover usually about a year's worth of principal and interest. So uh, today's um, item before you is um, Uh, approves the uh, preliminary official statement Um, this is the key uh, document in selling the bonds and it's the only source that uh, investors are actually supposed to rely on from our side it has to be as complete as possible it has to contain everything any material information positive or negative of course and and no exaggerations it's not a it's not a sales piece Um, It's very it's very factual, and it's a great compendium of of uh, um, information that will allow an investor to assess the risk of him not getting uh, repaid, essentially. And um, following that, uh, so this will go out. This is the document that will go out to the investors. It'll be published, and once the the bonds are priced, then we know what the numbers are. The numbers will get filled in, and that will be the final OS. Um, it's very, it's very it's, it's pretty rare to have any change at all between the POS and the OS. There could, It's possible there could be some change in circumstance, but uh, we have um, uh, Disclosure Council and uh, Underwriters Council keeping a close eye on anything that happens materially. So essentially what you approved today, minus the missing numbers, is... Uh, the OS will be and finally a continuing disclosure uh, certificate which is essentially a contract between the uh, OCII and the underwriter by which we will continue to disclose every year certain information uh, in the uh, POS in other words there are certain tables that will be updated in, in various statements and summary items that are required to be in that we do that in um, by the end of the year, uh, end of the uh, um, calendar year, in December every year. We have to do one of those for each one of our uh, seven credits. So uh, yeah, the final actions then will be sometime in the summer, perhaps in uh, August. It depends on uh, the timing of the tax rolls and whether we need to update for that. Um, We will uh, price the bonds and then The bonds will close about uh, three weeks later, generally. So we have our present today um, to to help with any questions you might have, if I'm unable to uh, handle them. uh, We have uh, our financial advisor, Sarah Hollenbeck and Nick Jones from PFM California. From Jones Hall, we have our bond counsel, uh, Juan Gavon. Alex Chu is our Disclosure Counsel, who's the author of this uh, POS. Uh, David Mealy is uh, is here remotely, um, and he's the author of the uh, Fiscal Consultants Report, which is about 40 pages of of, uh, detailed financial information on the project areas that's appended to the OS. From uh, the lead underwriter, uh, we have uh, Kevin Chang, who is attending remotely, I'm sorry, we had a last minute change there. And from uh, our um, co-manager, Baxter McCarley, we have uh, Vincent McCarley. And that uh, concludes my presentation, thank you.
0: Thank you, you. Uh, Madam Secretary, can you call for public comment? At
1: this time, if there are any members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item, please call 415-655-0001. Enter access code 2590-760-7128. Press the pound sign, then the pound sign again to enter the call, then press star three to be placed in the queue. If you're already listening to us by phone and would like to provide public comment, please press star three on your mobile devices. We'd like to begin by inviting anyone who joined us in person to come up to the podium if you'd, like to provide a, if you'd like to provide a public comment. And we're inviting people who have joined us online. If you'd like to provide your comment, please press star three. Madam Chair, it does not appear we have any members of the public wishing to comment at this time.
0: <laughs> Seeing no public comments um, from the pub, um, either online or in person, I'd like to close public comments and um, open it up to my fellow commissioners if you have any questions or concerns that you'd like to ask the staff about this item.
4: Uh, thank you for the presentation, Mr. Diggle. Um, I had a question. The staff memo identified uh, three updated risks uh, that were included in the analysis, uh, one related to climate change and hazardous substances, uh, and my understanding is for those two we we're following a precedent that's already set by the city and county in, in their bond issuances, and the third was identifying a risk in declines of assessed values. Uh, I think, you know, we all, we all read the newspapers and see what's happening in regards to folks returning uh, properties to uh, their, their lenders or having trouble uh, selling at previously assessed amounts. I'm also, reading the identified uh, number of, uh, of of folks that have the Proposition Eight appeals uh, in with our assessor, uh, was just hoping that staff could provide some additional commentary on the analysis that's been performed, uh, given this newly identified uh, risk, uh, so that we can all understand what you're what you're seeing uh, in in the marketplace and uh, why it makes sense to proceed.
6: In um as far, as far as the analysis, I would, I'd refer that to uh, David Mealy at Urban Analytics, who's our fiscal consultant. And as, as far as, the, you know, the um, market's attention to that particular issue, I would um, uh, invite our uh, financial advisor to speak or our underwriters.
4: Great. Looking forward to hearing from them. Can they, can they come up and address that issue? Sure. Thank you.
5: Sarah, why don't you go first?
7: Hi. Good afternoon, Sarah Hollenbeck, a Managing Director with PFM California Advisors. Um, I would defer to David Mealy on the question of the analytics that are behind the tax increment projections in the Fiscal Consultants Report, but I can speak to um, THE MARKET NORMS RELATING TO um, RISK DISCLOSURE uh, PERTAINING TO CLIMATE CHANGE um, AND the WHAT YOU, AS YOU NOTED, THE DYNAMICS OF THE PROPERTY um, VALUATION TRENDS IN SAN FRANCISCO. Um, WE JUST DETERMINED IN CONSULTATION WITH THE COMMISSION'S DISCLOSURE COUNCIL and following uh, the precedent that has been set by the city and county in its recent offering documents, um, that it is appropriate to call attention and call out in the preliminary official statement so that investors um, have that information clearly presented to them in the offering document as they're considering an investment decision relating to these bonds, um, that, that that those issues are specifically called out and addressed um, for their review and consideration. <clears throat> Is there anything further that?
4: Yeah, I think uh, it, it's helpful to understand that we've, uh, you know, done the appropriate disclosures in the in the POS, um, but did just want to, you know, understand a little bit more, maybe from the um, financial consultant or the fiscal consultant, uh, just about what an analyst what analysis uh, has been performed, uh, you know, how many uh, Proposition Eight uh, petitions are we are we seeing with the city, and if there uh, is, uh, you, you know, just to, just to understand. the the seemingly rapidly changing uh, uh, financial
7: climate. Yeah. So I would uh, invite David Mealy to jump in on that specific analysis question.
8: Sure. Good afternoon. Um, We've been tracking, we have the assessment appeals uh, as of, I think last month was the date we pulled uh, most recently. And, and, you know, we'll keep on, on top of it. Uh, so, we, we know the number of Prop 8 of filings. Um, know what buildings they are. Uh, it, we won't know much of substance until the rolls come out, the next roll comes out, um, which would be sometime in, in July, as John mentioned. Uh, for the projections, we assumed just the standard 2% growth rate, which is the prop, Proposition 13 uh, minimum growth. Last year's AV growth for the the project areas was uh, nearly 6% 5.8%. Of course, we don't know what that's going to be this coming year. Um, With regard to things that have, the the stories that have appeared in the press, we're we're following those. Uh, One case was a union bank building that that had recently sold um, for much less than, uh, much less than its, I I don't remember what the, the figures were, but Um, The amount of the sale was just slightly less than what it's currently assessed at. Uh, So it had been on the rolls for some time at a relatively low assessed value. And um, we don't expect to see an impact from that particular sale. The sale of Park Hotel, um, I mean, not the sale, but the, uh, I guess, relinquishing of it to the the bank, the the hotels, and uh, now the Westfield Mall. we just don't know but what, what effect that's going to have, um, whether it, it won't have an effect until the property is sold uh, or in, until there's a temporary reassessment in, in value, uh, and that would, would continue only as long as those conditions applied and would for a temporary reduction in value would change again when um, the building was sold or transferred. hope that helps. Is there any other questions about that? I'd be happy to, to take a stab at them.
4: Yeah, thank you for that. Thank you for that uh, overview. Um, you know, I guess it's uh, it's helpful to just get some, a sense of the uh, scale of impact uh, that we're seeing in terms of the numbers of uh, reassessment requests versus, you know, the large uh, number of assessed uh, properties in the in the district. Uh, just to kind of, you know, again, I think trying to provide some comfort uh, in terms of uh, the level of risk uh, to issuing issuing these bonds, even despite kind of some sensational uh, headlines.
8: Sure, the um, where we have on the assessment appeals, we've tried uh, as of May 24th. um, There were 121 resolved appeals and as of 2022 23 and these are just for the project area, not for the city county as a whole. Uh, one hundred and twenty one resolved appeals and one hundred and four pending appeals um, valuation on the pending appeals of, of uh, four point two billion the volume of appeals is slightly higher than it had been the year before where the volumes actually it's a little bit lower sorry in twenty one twenty two there were two hundred and sixty six I'm doing math between two numbers here two hundred and sixty six appeals versus the 225 appeals we see now. Um, so it's not, it's not, it hasn't yet appeared to you know, be, a, be a deluge of appeals filed. Uh, we'll keep an eye on it and see what happens um, as the appeals are filed for the next roll year, but that won't happen until September. Uh, we won't be seeing those until September.
4: Great, thank you for the additional information.
0: Do any of my other commissioners
3: have any questions for? So do your assumptions, uh, Mr. Miller, assume that there will be a 2% increase in assessed values? uh, Or, I mean, I think most people would assume that these early foreclosures are the harbinger of much to come. So... uh, what is the analysis, is the analysis only based on prior year data or does it contemplate a new environment going forward?
8: Uh, It's based on prior data. Um, Actually, I think the the sizing itself is based on the current year AV, not on any growth projections. Um, So with respect to the size size of the issuance, we're not assuming anything more than what we already have this current year. Um, as I mentioned, there's, there was growth last year of 6% in the A.V. And, and we, you know, well, it's really hard to say what's going to happen with it. We've been through cycles before where uh, it, it sounded like it was going to be an a, a A.V. disaster, but uh, it didn't materialize that way. There were some decreases, but only in particular sectors. Um,
5: If I may? Sure. Uh, commissioners. um, I believe most of these bonds are 30 year bond terms. And so when you look at a 2% growth average, that's average across 30 years. And so when you look back uh, retrospectively at 6% growth as we've historically observed, those are mostly during boom times. I don't believe we went back to um, the 2008 period, but looking forward, there might be dips but we're projecting out that the dips will average out to, at a minimum, 2% growth. And historically, that's what has occurred. And so I kind of made that as a statement, but I phrased it as a question to con- be confirmed by, by the team.
6: If, if I may, uh, commissioners, I would add one thing. Is that our current coverage on this debt in, in the lowest year is 480%. So in other words, we have 4.8 times enough pledged revenue uh, to make debt service. So it's there's we could lose we could lose a lot and still you know every commercial property could go to zero that's 40 percent of our uh, our uh, you know tax base and we could still pay so um, we're, we're it, it's it's not a great time but um, it's it's not really um, anything that threatens the security of these bonds and, uh, in any uh, reasonable scenario that we can see. We just have to put it there. As I said earlier, we have to put everything we can think of.
5: And, and Commissioners, if I may, one, one other item related to, uh, for example, uh, climate change and sea level rise. I think um, the Commissioner's questions were related to how are we perceiving that risk associated with the repayment of these bonds. And we've determined that we can go forward with these at the risk that we're disclosing to the market. Um, does make this a marketable bond, and but the market will tell us how much risk there is and whether or not there's active investment engagement, what kind of rates we're talking about. So that is yet to be sort of determined. We disclose it um, per the standards set by the city, and and just wanted to confirm for the commissioners that that's the process we're engaging in.
6: Yeah, and and, and the market is is already telling us through our um, financial advisor and through our investment bankers. You know, the re- the numbers that we've run are realistic based on. The then current market. I don't want to say current because it's every day different, but.
0: I had a quick comment. Um, I wanted to thank you guys for having a detailed explanation of um, the different risk factors in the climate change section, including um, what's happening in various project areas, including the shipyard and stuff like that. Um, However, I did feel the narrative was a little bit light. And the areas around, um, there was a lot of discussion around office space buildings, but not other types. And so I was just wondering if that section was going to be beefed up, or is that sufficient to kind of um, explain some of the other comments that both um, Commissioner Drew and um, Commissioner Ludlam discussed earlier around what we're seeing in the retail market, the hotel markets, et cetera?
6: I would. I think I'd answer that just by saying that you know everything in this POS is reviewed by the entire team including the uh, the underwriters uh, council who is essentially on the other side but has exactly the same intent as our disclosure council which is to get everything down there that needs to be there um, nothing is um, nothing is included uh, without a lot of uh, careful uh, scrutiny I could ask um, our uh, disclosure counsel up as well, Alex Chu, who is here today.
0: If that's possible, yes, please. Would, would you like to ask? Yes, Alex? please. Maybe if you can help us understand the methodology around the net narrative and how you. Um...
9: Sure, uh, Alex Chu, uh, disclosure counsel. Good afternoon. Um, when we uh, drafted the uh, POS, uh, we looked at the uh, uh, events that had occurred up to that point, and it's more recent that, at that point, the primary concern was with respect to the vacancies and uh, office buildings. Uh, since then, uh, there have been news recently in the last couple of weeks, I believe, or maybe even in the last week, about uh, commercial spaces and hotels uh, facing difficulties. and. Uh, owners uh, handing over uh, hotels and uh, commercial spaces to banks. So that's something we will look at and certainly we'll uh, monitor that and we'll include that if we uh, feel that that's uh, something that should be disclosed. And we'll try and get more information on that as well.
0: Thank you. Do any of my commissioners have any... Um, additional comments? Um, do we have a motion? Anyone would like to have a motion on the floor?
2: Madam Chair, I move that we do confirm resolution 21-2023. I'll
0: second. Madam Secretary, can you please call the vote?
1: Commission members, please announce your vote for item 5B when I call your name. Commissioner Aquino. Yes. Commissioner Drew? Yes. Commissioner Scott? Yes. Vice Chair Ludlam? Yes. Chair Brackett? Yes. Madam Chair, the vote is five ayes.
0: The motion carries. Can you please call the next item Madam Secretary?
1: Next is agenda item number 5C, authorizing the issuance of tax allocation refunding bonds as permitted in section 34177.5 A1 of the California Health and Safety Code in an aggregate principal amount not to exceed $85 million approving and directing the execution of a second supplemental indenture of trust escrow agreement and bond purchase contract and approving other related documents and actions Mission Bay South redevelopment project area discussion and action resolution number 22-2023 Director Koslowski.
5: Thank you, Madam Secretary, uh, commissioners, members of the public. Uh, Once again, this is a bond item. This is for uh, projects in Mission Bay South, primarily for projects that have been completed. Um, And once again, it'll be presented by Mr. John Daigle, the OCAI's debt manager. Thank you. (laughs)
6: Once again, good afternoon, members of the Commission. Um, Madam Chair, Director Kaslowski, my name is John Daigle. I'm the uh, Senior Financial Analyst and Debt Manager for OCII. Thank you, Lucinda. Um, this, this item is uh, for a uh, two series of bonds which will refund the existing 2016 D. As in David um, Mission Bay South bonds, the enabling authority is uh, California Health and Safety Code three four one seven seven point five a one a, and California Government Code um, Article eleven of Chapter three Part one of Division two of Title five. Purpose of the bonds is to refund the Mission Bay South. Series 2016 D bonds, and uh, we expect to get um, uh, re- pretty reasonable savings uh, from, for, for two reasons. One, from lower market rates than when the bonds were issued, uh, but also from a <clears throat> credit rating upgrade. The current bonds are non-rated, and these will be um, refinanced, their subordinate bonds, and this will be refinanced into the senior credit, which was the original conception the reason they were done that way, to begin with, was uh, the margins were too tight to, to uh, do um, what's called a parity bond, which is a bond on an equal basis. And uh, the developer badly needed the money and was willing to um, uh, do, do it that way. Fortunately, the rates were fairly low when we did it, so we weren't punished too much for doing a non-rated bond. But we will have savings by upgrading it to uh, the uh, dominant credit, the uh, superior credit. which is A minus rated. These are the sources and uses uh, of the bonds. Um, I don't think I need to read through all the numbers. Again, the only thing exceptional there is that premium. Um, And again, that's uh, something that's really dictated by the investors. If the bonds are structured that way, they will uh, pay enough to make it worth, um, make it more advantageous for us to do it that way. Bonds are very very close to equal in size. Uh, That may change. Um, uh, In fact, we expect it will change quite a bit with more going over to the tax-exempt side um, as as time goes on. It depends on the specific timing of the bond issue. So the uh, action today approves the second supplemental indenture of trust and bond purchase agreement. Um, the way we do these now, instead of having a you know a new unique indenture of trust for each bond issue, the in- initial indenture is set up so that it can can, can be um, uh, supplemented, which is a lot more efficient um, in terms of uh, <coughs> doing subsequent parity bonds. <clears throat> and there was already one supplemental ind- indenture. This is the second. The bond purchase agreement is the contract between. OCII and uh, the bond underwriters who will be buying the bonds from us, and of course reselling them, delivering them to their customers. Some uh, qu- quick summary of the uh, of the bonds down below, uh, in terms of the principal amounts, expected uh, interest, and in the underwriter's discount. Today's action also approves our uh, underwriter selection. We issued an RFP to the uh, city and county of San Francisco's uh, uh, underwriter panel and uh, received uh, six responses, which we uh, evaluated and scored uh, with the selection panel. For the lead, uh, we chose uh, Citibank Global Markets, who incidentally were the underwriters for the 2016 D bonds. And for uh, co-manager, Wells Fargo Bank. And we do have um, representatives here from um, Citibank. We have uh, Deborah Saunders. And uh, from uh, Wells Fargo, we have uh, Chintin Dalakia. Um, and the rest of the team is, is uh, pretty much the same. We have Jones Hall, uh, Juan Gavon. We have uh, from Urban Analytics, uh, David Mealy. And uh, Sarah Hollenbeck is our uh, financial advisor. Uh, Nick Jones also from PFM. And, um, yeah, that's, that's the team. So in this, uh, we're obviously earlier in the stage here, so there are a lot more actions that have to um, take place before we come back to you, as we just did with this previous issue. Um, We have to go to the Oversight Board, which we're going to do on June 29th, and then immediately we'll send the Oversight Board's action to DOF for their consideration. They have up to 65 days. Um, We don't know. Sometimes they're very quick. But if they want to take 65 days, if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. Um, once we have the uh, DOF approval, we'll come back with the uh, to you with the POS and the final approval. Uh, we expect that to be um, in September. It may be earlier if uh, DOF acts uh, earlier, and then um, we should probably get to market in late September. I'm guessing and, and close in. Uh, October, but again, with the refunding, it very much depends on the um, on market conditions. You know the market's volatile, and you, if you don't have savings there because you have a spike in rates, you don't you don't go. You wait until it comes comes around, and we do this in uh, consultation with our uh, uh, financial advisor and uh, underwriting team. And that uh, concludes my presentation. Thank you.
0: Thank you for your presentation and staff report. Um, if there Are there any other presenters for this item? No? Okay. Um, Madam Secretary, can you call for public comment, please?
1: If there are any members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item, please call 415-655-0001, enter access code 2590-760-7128, followed by the pound sign, then the pound sign again to enter the call. Press star then three to be placed in our queue. If you're already listening to us by phone and would like to provide public comment, please press star three and would like to begin by inviting anyone, any members of the public who are here in person, if you'd like to provide public comment, please come up to the podium at this time. And members of the public who have joined us remotely, if you'd like to provide public comment, again, please press star three on your mobile devices. Madam Chair, we do not have any members of the public wishing to comment.
0: Seeing no members of the public would like to provide any um, public comment, we are now closing public comment and moving it over to questions, concerns, or comments from my fellow commissioners.
4: <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so we're refinancing uh, two loans that were issued in 2016 because we anticipate receiving a more favorable interest rate and saving money. Is yes. That, yeah. And so, how much money are we anticipating? What What does the save? Have we quantified the savings we're anticipating, or, or provided a, a band of savings?
6: Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's a, you know it's such a volatile number. The last time we looked. Um, if I recall correctly, it was it was about four percent, four percent of the um, refunded principal. So, uh, if there's four percent of um, uh, Nick, do you have a number handy? Excuse me. I
0: think you had the NPV savings at about four point eight million. The NPV savings was about four point eight million. Thank you. <laughs>
6: Okay. Actually, it's uh, it's looking uh, handsome right now. The uh, savings would be uh, close to seven percent and um, four point eight million. Yes.
4: Great. Thank you. I think it'd be really helpful for um, future staff member memos to just include that um, up front because I think that's kind of the headline. Like, why why are we doing this? Like, because. Yeah. Um, you know, that's a that's a good headline. We should we should advertise that we're we're saving public funds. So, thank you.
10: Mm-hmm.
3: The, uh, the action today is picking the underwriting team. Uh, could you talk about uh, the criteria used to evaluate the six responses and uh, whether we have any work history with the selection?
6: We um, Let's see. I can't remember in my time whether we have <clears throat> we've done business with Citibank. Of course, I think the first deal we did with them was the 2016 uh, D, the one we're refunding. Um, and uh, they did a great job for us on that. And um, Wells Fargo, in my time here, we haven't we have not worked with before, but uh, they're uh, uh, they they scored very highly, and we sort of looked at that. And they have a, a tremendous distribution uh, 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 network that we thought was uh, complementary. Uh, so uh, beyond the uh, you know criteria that are listed you have to get into a little more detail on a little more granular um, and that that's really what drove it you know.
0: None of my other commissioners have any additional comments if we can if anyone has a motion for, for the floor
3: I would move to approve this uh, selection of Citigroup and Wells Fargo for this assignment.
0: Do we have a second?
3: I second that motion.
0: Madam Secretary, can you please call for the vote?
1: Commission members, please announce your vote for item 5C when I call your name. Commissioner Aquino. Yes. Yes. Commissioner Drew. Yes. Commissioner Scott. Yes. Vice Chair Ludlum? Yes. And Chair Brackett? Aye. Madam Chair, the vote is five ayes.
0: The motion carries. Um, Madam Secretary, can you please call the next item?
1: Next is agenda item number 5D, conditionally authorizing the conversion of 69 off street residential parking spaces in and adding five new spaces to parking spaces to an existing building containing 313 parking spaces at 185 Channel Street, MBS Block 2, to provide 34 short term commercial spaces. Thirty commercial valet parking spaces and ten off-site below-market-rate residential parking spaces, and, a, and approving a second amendment to the basic concept schematic design for Mission Bay South Block Two, Mission Bay South Redevelopment Project Area. Discussion and action resolution number twenty-three-two thousand twenty-three. Director Koslowski.
5: Thank you, Madam Secretary, Commissioners, members of the public. Um, This is an item in Mission Bay South for an existing project that is going to convert, is proposing to convert some of its vacant on site parking spaces uh, to other uses from residential to commercial. This isn't the first time this project has sought to better utilize their underutilized parking. And uh, Ms. Gretchen Heckman, a development specialist with the agency, will present this item. Thank you.
11: Thank you, Director Koslowski. Uh, Good afternoon, Chair Brackett, Vice-Chair Ludlum, Commissioners Scott, Drew, and Aquino. Um, As Director uh, Koslowski mentioned, my name is Gretchen Heckman. I'm a development specialist on the Mission Bay team. So the item before you today is regarding a partial conversion of residential parking uses within an existing garage at Mission Bay South Block 2 um, or 185 Channel Street. The property is outlined in red on this map, and you can see it's located on 4th Street between Channel and Longbridge Streets. The site includes 315 for-rent residential units, ground floor retail, and slightly less than one-for-one parking for the 315 apartment units on site. The action before you today is to amend the original design approvals, the basic concept schematic design, for the project, in order to conditionally authorize the conversion of 69 residential parking spaces to short-term commercial metered spaces, valet parking, and off-site below-market-rate residential parking. So this slide gives uh, a bit of history on Block Two. Uh, the building was built according to the maximum parking ratio allowed for residential residential uses in the Mission Bay Design for Development document, uh, which is one for one. Um, it ended up being slightly less than one-for-one one just due to um, the logistics of the garage and kind uh, um, of things that they worked out during construction. So it was 313 residential parking spaces. The parking is unbundled from the units, meaning that residents can lease an apartment and choose to separately lease a parking space or not lease one. The property has seen underutilized parking for six to seven years. And as Director Koslowski mentioned, in 2018, the Commission approved the conversion of 25 residential spaces in the garage to retail uses dedicated to Gus's community market. Since then, and even through the pandemic, the property has maintained around a 50% vacancy rate in its residential parking. To address uh, the vacancies, um, the owner, UDR, has come to OCII with a proposal for additional conversions. They have proposed that 34 spaces be converted to short-term commercial metered parking, 25 spaces be converted to Luma Hotel's uh, valet services, and 10 um, spaces be converted to below market rate spaces leased to residents of affordable housing buildings in Mission Bay South. So this is a total of 69 converted spaces, and the approval also includes an additional five spaces to be created in the valet drive aisle for overflow purposes for the valet services. So here's a diagram of the first floor of the garage where the conversion will take place. The doors of the garage will be open for public access from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. The second floor of the garage will be dedicated to on-site residential parking and features a quick-closed door accessible to residents only. Here's the building owner UDR's rate sheet proposal for the 34 short-term metered commercial spaces. This pricing is in line with the planning code's pricing tiers for parking and can be increased annually with CPI. The building owner will come back to OCI with any proposed changes to this pricing, and. Um, Next slide. Management of the short term commercial meter spaces will be through a parking operator who will apply for and manage the garage license and leases for the valet and below market rate spaces. Non-resident parking guests will use the pay by phone smartphone application to book and purchase time for the short term metered commercial spaces. Management will also include controls set to prevent parking for the purpose of attending an event at Chase Center and Oracle Park, including a two hour parking duration limit during special events, the closure of the garage at 9 p.m., and signage signaling that special events parking is not offered on the premises. The valet parking spaces are comprised of 25 existing spaces plus five spaces which would be created in the drive aisle um, between the two rows of valet spaces. For the foreseeable future, Luma Hotel a property that is a neighbor to block Two across from Channel Street will pay to utilize these spaces. The spaces are expected to support the new hotel's business as since opening in the summer of last year, they have seen higher than expected demand for parking from their guests. The 10 below market rate spaces in UDR's proposal represent 15% of the 64 non-residential spaces proposed for the parking garage. These will be available to residents of OCII-sponsored affordable housing buildings in Mission Bay South. The parking rates for these spaces, in accordance with the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development Policy, will vary by household area median income and are shown in the table on this slide. Based on staff's analysis, the majority of residents in Mission Bay South will fall into the 55% AMI bracket and thus would pay $100 a month for parking um, if pulled from the lottery. Logistics for the below market rate parking will be agreed upon by OCII, the building owner UDR or its parking operator, and the affordable housing owner staff and will include the creation of an interested parties list, allocation of spaces through a public lottery process, the creation of a wait list, and any other policies to sync the standard lease agreements in terms of UDR with those of the affordable properties. Staff is recommending this action's approval with conditions related to policies that prevent the use of the metered spaces for special events parking, policies regarding below market rate spaces, and the approval of signage for the garage. This item was brought before the Mission-Based Citizens Advisory Committee on June 8th of this year. The CAC voted to recommend the item be brought before commission. The um, members of the public questions included whether the owner would be allowed to do special events parking, if the Gus's parking spaces would remain free of charge, and there were also questions around the pricing and operational policy for the below market rate spots. The CAC and members of the public supported providing additional parking for Gus's community market in 2018 and also expressed support for this conversion proposal. If the commission approves this item today, the next steps by staff will include the creation of a signage plan for the space and discussions between the building owner UDR, OCIA staff and the affordable housing owner representatives to solidify logistics for the below market rate spots. That concludes my presentation and I can answer any questions commissioners may have. Also in attendance today for questions are Megan Jennings, land use council representing the building owner UDR. Ellington Diaz, community director at UDR. Amy Matabuena, project manager for the Luma Hotel. Jose Campos, manager of design review and planning for OCII. Pam Sims, Senior Development Specialist in the Housing Group at OCII, and finally, Mark Slutskin, Project Manager for the Mission Bay Group at OCII, who um, is also joining us remotely.
0: Do we have any other presenters for this item at this moment? Okay. Madam Secretary, can you please call for public comments?
1: At this time, if there are any members of the public who wishes to provide public comment on this item, please call 415-655-0001 enter access code 25907607128 followed by the pound sign then the pound sign again to enter the call then press star then 3 to be placed in the queue if you're already already listening to us by phone, please press star three if you'd like to provide public comment and would like to begin by inviting, inviting members of the public who joined us in person to come up to the podium at this time if they would like to provide a comment. Now we'd like to invite members of the public who joined us remotely by phone to again press star three on your mobile devices if you would like to provide a comment. Madam Chair, it does not appear we have any members of the public wishing to comment at this time.
0: Seeing no members of the public wishing to comment on this item, we are now gonna close um, public comment and I'm going to refer to my fellow commissioners for questions and comments.
3: I have a question for OCI staff. Uh, and this may reveal only my own ignorance, but uh, I was surprised to see the rates uh, as part of the proposal. So do we regulate the commercial parking rates of every space in our jurisdictions?
11: Thanks for that question, Commissioner Ludlam. Um, no, we don't regulate the parking rates uh, for all parking garages in our jurisdiction, Um for these, what we looked at for the um, proposal was that it was in alignment with the planning code's um, parking policies, and we presented the information so that it was uh, transparent and known as part of the action item.
3: Uh, but but are the rates intended to be? It says any increases will come back to commission for approval. So so the rates aren't. Intended to be part of what we're approving.
7: Yes,
11: that's right.
3: It seems problematic to me that we would approve. We would determine rates in one parking garage in Mission Bay and no others. Why would we do that?
11: So. Um, I would say for this particular item, a concern that we had discussed with the project owner was on special events pricing and um, making sure that the, um, the garage would not be open for that particular type of parking and understanding what the rates are and having them set for now. And obviously, if they need to be changed in the future, there will be a process to change them. Gives um, OCII comfort that you know they the building owner will not be charging excessive rates during special events parking. I mean the the commercial um, metered spaces the thirty four spaces. Um, you know we don't have a direct threat to this because it hasn't been enacted yet. But we. Um, We hope that those spaces will be helpful to the small businesses on 4th Street. Many are restaurants, um, which, you know, may be destination spots for um, visitors coming into Mission Bay or even neighboring areas. Um, And so that's um, this approval is intended to be and economic development approval supporting Luma Hotel and also supporting um, the small businesses on 4th Street.
3: Uh, But no other Mission Bay garages are similarly constrained, right?
11: No other Mission Bay garages have requested changes to their um, entitled parking. So there has not been a reason to
3: and their entitlements do not specify what hourly rates they can charge. That's
10: right. Okay. If if I may, Commissioner. Correct the I think one way to look at this is, this is within the power of the commission as a land use regulator, and these parking spaces were originally approved by the commission for residential parking, and it is highly unusual, in fact, in my view, or my experience, is the first time that uh, a residential parking space has been converted that's within the agency's jurisdiction. And so the goal was not so much the rates, but what principle of, of land use does it serve? And as Gretchen pointed out, the primary purpose here, at least for most of these converted spaces, is to serve the neighborhood businesses, which is obviously of great importance to uh, the agency and to the businesses in that area that we're trying to support. Um, So it's, it's within your land use jurisdiction, your discretionary authority, and the rates are sort of ancillary to fulfilling the goals of what are the, what is the purpose of these parking spaces.
12: If I may uh, just add to the the responses. Um, My name is Megan Jennings. I'm land use counsel to UDR working on this matter. And and thanks Gretchen for such a comprehensive presentation. Um, Just to address this set of questions. um, You know, initially what the applicant had proposed was a structure that complied with um, the the format set up in the planning code for uh, short-term versus longer-term parking rates. And those policies are really uh, set up to discourage long-term parking. Um, And we proposed something that we were comfortable with, um, but with the provision that we would be able to adjust the prices based on demand, um, based on feedback from staff, um, we understood that that OCII would be more comfortable with a set Policy um, for now at least about what the rates were and those uh, seem reasonable to the applicant So, um, you know, we are willing to live with those conditions on the the pricing for the short-term parking spaces Um, I did also just want to mention uh, in response to mr. Morales's comments uh, that uh, UDR which owns and operates several apartment communities in the city um, has actually Pursued these conversions of portions of underutilized parking garages at other properties in the city that are under planning commission jurisdiction. So they do have a track record of managing uh, both short-term parking and uh, more longer-term or, you know, business-supporting parking arrangements like the the valet. So we do have some precedent for it, just not under OCII's jurisdiction.
3: And in the other garages you've converted, uh, do you have... Stipulated rates?
12: No. Not beyond um, compliance with the Planning Code 155G regulations. So, I mean, to be totally frank, we would be happy not to have that condition, but I want to be clear that the the applicant is comfortable with that condition as proposed.
2: Mm -mm. May I ask? um, I'm having a problem with it. The rates uh, we give affordable housing and I'm happy to see a thought for some help in adding parking spaces. Um, Just so happens, just in the last few weeks, I've been getting calls for residents that were so happy to get the affordable housing, but now the burden and hardship of tickets upon tickets upon tickets and um, trying to rush home from work to go to a meter and get back to work and they drop children off at a babysitter or another call children off to school and they're, they're just, uh, they said we hate it. They love the housing but they don't like and it's become a burden and a hardship because they're saying, you know, we have to pay, I think they can pay by their cell phone or something like that for the meters, but it's way above their budget, the tickets that they're getting and the cost um, where they thought they would be saving and they're around transportation, but the parking they need a lot of support with, but it needs to be affordable. And then when I see lottery, when the majority of the African-Americans here in the city were saying we're at uh, 3%? That's, uh, that's almost like, well, we'll never get pulled in. We, we won't get help with this. So I'm, I'm just wondering, and I did get that um, they can apply for residential uh, parking permit. How does that, how would that work there? Can you help me with that?
11: Thanks for your question, Commissioner Scott. Um, just to um, first address the question on the residential parking permit. So um, SFMTA sets sets those. They lie within MTA's jurisdiction and Mission Bay um, was not issued any residential parking permits. It was a policy decision based on um, the land uses within Mission Bay. Um, So that is not an option for residents. I um, hear what you're saying about um, the burden of street parking in Mission Bay. This, uh, the 10 parking spaces obviously offer a very small uh, amount of relief for affordable housing residents. They'll be administered um, through a lottery process just as all of the um, OCII and city sponsored affordable housing units are. Um, and that would be, you know, we are making sure that we are aligned with um, how the mayor's office of housing runs their programs. And so this um, proposal reflects that.
2: May I ask, would the COP holder have any preference? Yep. Uh, Just to piggyback
13: on what Gretchen said, I'm Pam Sims, senior development specialist. And um, it's important to note that each affordable housing development already has parking spaces. The ratio is anywhere from 20% and below. Um, So each development has parking spaces and the COP um, applicants and now residents at each of those affordable housing developments, they have parking spaces. If they requested a parking space, they have one. So this parking that Gretchen is um, recommending would be on top of the parking that already exists at Affordable Housing Developments.
2: So you're saying, Pam, if someone is just moving in, they still would have, today, the uh, benefits of asking for a parking space or are they already all taken um
13: if they're if they're moving in today and um we had the lottery and the everybody moved in two years ago um they would go to the top of the waiting list they would not get a spot but they would go to the top of the waiting list
2: and would that cop help with parking as it did with housing
13: correct because they get to go to the top of the wait list for each development
2: Okay, thank you.
0: Commissioner Keno. Yes, thank you, thank
14: you for the presentation. Um, I just need some uh, better understanding on the current parking proposal and how the, um, how do these numbers come up? Um, For example, I guess I'm just curious as to why 34 Short, short-term commercial spaces, um, uh, just because um, that area is very heavy with traffic. Um, the T-line runs there. You got traffic going to the, AT, the uh, Oracle Park, the games, events, etc. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious as to why 34 spaces and then 10, like, how do these numbers come about? Sure. Ten below market and thirty valet. I get. Sure. I kind of get the
12: hotel, but maybe you can help me shine a light on that. Yeah, absolutely. You. Um, so uh, you you picked up on uh, the the valet spaces for the hotel were driven by discussions between the hotel, um, and we do have a representative here in case you have questions for them as well. But. Um, That was driven by communications between the hotel and the property owner about the hotel's needs um, and what uh, it felt reasonable to provide based on the amount of space that's available. Um, The 34, there's not any magic to that number, um, but effectively when we were looking at the full first floor of the garage um, and not taking into account the 25 spaces that are already reserved for Gus's, um, the spaces that are designated for car share, electric vehicle parking, um, vendors, and, and visitors to the uh, the facility. 34 was the majority of the remaining spaces that are effectively unused on the first floor of the garage. Um, and based on discussions with OCII staff over the last couple of years, um, it was the consensus was. THAT IT WOULD PROVIDE THE MOST OPPORTUNITY TO SUPPORT LOCAL BUSINESSES uh, BY MAKING THOSE AVAILABLE FOR SHORT-TERM PARKING RATHER THAN OTHER um, POTENTIAL ARRANGEMENTS. AND THEN THE 10 BMR SPACES, THAT CAME ABOUT ALSO THROUGH DISCUSSIONS WITH OCII STAFF BASED ON 15% OF THE TOTAL NUMBER OF COMMERCIAL, what, WHAT I'M CALLING COMMERCIAL SPACES. Um, so non-residential spaces. And if in the future, the number of, um, if, if the short-term parking program was really successful and the applicant wanted to come forward and ask for additional parking spaces, um, then the, the 15% BMR spaces would adjust with that. So in, in the future, again, if they asked to provide more short-term uh, commercial parking spaces, they would also... Uh, potentially need to increase the number of BMR spaces.
14: Okay, thank you. And just want to add one other thing um, uh, The other one was so you are seeing a demand or or like more of a a calling to have those you mentioned shared vehicles or um, you know like zip cars, I get that. So you're seeing that there's a need for that for that that space, and um, and I guess yeah. So we'll go from there. And I kind of want to go back with the 34 short-term commercial space. Why 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. I mean, you know, that's a sure sure time.
12: Sure. Yeah, I mean, the, those are the hours that the facility is currently open, and um, I don't know for sure the hours of Gus's. Um, that the hours that Gus's community market is open, but I believe it is the majority, if not the entirety of that that time period. Um, is that correct? Okay, thank you. Um, and so it's really just reflecting what's uh, what's currently in place. Um, the, I'm sorry, what was the other question? Oh, about zip cars?
14: Yeah, I mean, I'm just asking in terms of like, um, there's a, you're seeing a demand on that and, um, I guess just to, I guess I'm just trying to understand to help those that do live in below market, uh, Uh and yeah, and making room for when there's events, you know, folks with disabilities. I don't see anything here indicating like pay by phone. How about, you know,
12: having spots for those with disabilities? Sure. So I I am not an expert in the ADA requirements, but I. Um, I am confident that the garage currently complies with um, the accessibility requirements um, under its building permits. Oh. Um, and certainly, you know, if if there is, I, I'm sure that if, if there's a need to make additional spaces accessible, um, th- that it would certainly be possible. Um, in terms of the zip car, so there's four, I believe, zip car spaces right now. Those have always been a part of the project approvals, um, and uh, and we're not proposing any change.
14: Okay, thank you, I know it's kind of everywhere because this is exciting, at the same time, I'm just trying to understand the numbers
12: and... um... No, understood, there's a lot of different numbers in uh, in this proposal, so. totally get it. I think that's
14: all I got, but um, yeah, for now, thank you. Thank you.
4: Great, Uh, I just wanted to follow up on uh, Commissioner Ludlum's questions regarding uh, approval of hourly rates. Um, So just so I'm, I'm clear, has OCII adopted parking rates in any of our project areas?
5: Commissioner Drew, uh, I don't believe we have. Um, I'm not sure from the Mission Bay team if the UCSF garages um, were they did they go through any of our approvals. So there are no there are no garages that we approved as part of our projects that we approved rates of, and that's a question. I see Gretchen nodding, and Jim may have something to add, but again, just emphasizing what. I'm answering a different question in addition to your question, which is uh, this is the the first or actually the second time this this um, developer has come forward, but converting what is intended as on-site residential parking, converting it to something different. And so um, it was the newness of this that we wanted to be sure about you know what how this parking was going to be used and the rates that we introduced the idea. But yeah. I don't believe in any other of the project areas, Transbay, on this shipyard candlestick or prior mission bay approvals
7: okay
4: and for other uh commercial garages within mission bay which do face similar concerns around the mix between special event parking and uh, neighborhood uh retail uh, business parking uh, i I'm, I'm assuming that there's controls in there regarding restricting uh use for special events and um you know, I, I think effectively we're saying we don't think that those are sufficient uh, in this case and are applying or adopting uh, uh, rates in order to secure these spaces. Um, so just wanted to understand, like, why our current model, where we're kind of not confident in it or we think that we need we need more um, in order to protect these spaces from being gobbled up by uh, special events.
5: Uh, certainly, Commissioner Drew. Um, the My understanding is these are commercial garages that were designed and permitted as commercial garages. And so those were approved um, that way. So they were intended to be full on operating garages. This was approved as a residential garage facility not intended to be used for off site parking. And so in in exchange for the concession to open it up to the public, uh, we're understanding this may not be the only time that they may come forward or other developers may come forward. Um, The concern about you know, uh, price spikes uh, was a concern. Uh, The special event parking is very prevalent. MTA has introduced new rules about extending parking rates and potentially increasing parking rates. And so as this had gone forward as an initial, call it a pilot, if you will, we wanted to be sure what the rates would be. Um, And so I don't know if that 100% answers your question, but I was giving you the broader context about our thinking around uh, introducing this framework, the pricing framework.
4: Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's interesting. Uh, I'm just not sure I want to get into the business of becoming a a you know, hourly parking rate expert uh and requesting that folks kinda come back to the commission for if they did <laughs> excuse me, if they did want to change it, you know, what would we evaluate that against. It just, you know, it's a it's a new concept. Um and again I'm not I'm not totally sure we have value add and I'm not sh- sure yet what the um like, that we don't have sufficient controls already in place regarding, you know, since we do have commercial garages in Mission Bay that already face these challenges, um, are we, are those, again, like, insufficient, or do we have concerns um, around tools we already have used in our, in our purview? Um, you know, I, I guess I'm just not quite sure why we're, why we're taking this next step uh, into determining specific rates for uh, a, a garage.
0: Dr. Scott?
2: Okay i'm I'm still having a little trouble, a lot of trouble really, to be honest, um, especially in hearing that MTA has no there are no residential permits. And so to me, and I, I'm looking at parents with, as um, Commissioner Aquino said, those with disabilities, then you have the parents that are blessed with babies and children and groceries and no parking place. What are are they doing during the day and then is this night rate for being parked on the street that I see ahead saying no. Yeah, help me with understanding how they're being charged if they're, parked in that area during the day and if they're parked at night the complaints i'm getting just um, are horrifying to me
12: all i wanted to respond to was um, the proposal for the below market rate spaces in this garage um, it would be a monthly rate there's no you know nighttime fee it's the same rate that um, affordable housing uh, residents are charged at any below market rate um, buildings, any inclusionary units throughout the city. So we're just proposing the exact same thing that, that applies everywhere. Um, and So that was what I was shaking my head about, is just uh, to clarify there's no additional nighttime cost or anything. It's just uh, you have a parking space and it's yours um, on a month-to-month basis.
2: With those, with the parking yeah. space, but what about those that are don't have a parking space and they're on the streets, how do those meters affect them during the day
5: and at night? Commissioner Scott, if I may respond instead. Um, the agency doesn't regulate uh, the parking rates on the street, on-street mm-hmm. parking, right. what it's called. Uh, MTA does, um, mm-hmm. and they, they set those rates. We, we are not involved in that, mm-hmm. uh, that process. Um, and as you know, most of the area of Mission Bay um, is metered And um, the rates that are set are set by the, I believe it's the MTA commission, in fact, Mm -hmm. who does. So we're we're not involved, UDR is not involved as well.
2: Right, yeah, I understood that. I'm just thinking of the hardship for those that are parked in the streets and how hard that is on them and will be. So, Thank you, thank you.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, if the UDR team could please come to the mic. I have a couple questions, clarifying questions. Yes. Um, currently, what is the profit netted from those residentials or the charges charged to, for the residential parking spaces or? Yeah, but empty spaces. What is the charge for that?
12: Sure, the residential, uh, the, the residents of the building who have the option to lease the parking spaces now. Um, I believe the current monthly rate is three hundred and fifteen dollars, um, which is consistent with, you know, which is certainly within the same range of other um, similar properties in the area and throughout the city.
0: So you guys are looking at possibly. Um As you see it now currently, because those spaces are unoccupied, you're losing about 69 times that 315
12: every month for that first floor. Yeah, in a a gross sense, I think that's probably accurate.
0: Okay. And then um, I know you also mentioned that that you guys have had experience in other residential communities converting... and residential parking spaces to commercial parking spaces, and then just wanting to understand how profitable is that for UDR to do that?
12: You know, I don't have um, profit numbers available, and unfortunately, I don't think Ellington probably has that information. <laughs> okay. Um, so it, is, it does generate revenue. Um, those spaces, of course, do have Um, permitting fees and taxes um, associated with them and and costs of security so you know there are there are costs associated with it too but yeah they do generate revenue so they do generate revenue
0: sure positive yeah so I'm I do have a couple comments um, in terms of this proposal before us um, in the sense that what we're essentially being asked to do is convert the entire first floor of this um, parking garage from residential to commercial. Um, as w- and there are no financials being submitted to us about what that means in terms of um, how, what's the profitability of doing that. And also, um, Pam, I actually have a question for Pam as well before I go into my full kind of spiel. Um, In the report that the staff submitted, there was some indication that there's been a constant demand from the six neighboring residencies in need of parking space. So they actually need residential parking space and have needed residential parking space for over six years. Is that correct? Correct. And we haven't been able to identify any places for those residents to park until this proposal. Correct.
13: Um, But the Mission Bay team has been working very hard uh, trying to find spaces, alternatives, uh, permit parking. And it's really tough in Mission Bay. But yes, the affordable housing residents really need the parking.
0: Um, how many do you think are on that list? Are we in the hundreds? Are we 50 people on that waiting list? Well,
13: each development has
0: their own wait list. So like an average of all the developments, uh,
13: probably 75 on average. FOR EACH DEVELOPMENT. FOR EACH ONE. SO Mm -hmm. WE'RE
0: LOOKING AT CLOSE TO ABOUT 600 RESIDENTS WHO NEED PARKING IN THIS NEIGHBORHOOD RIGHT NOW. WHO NEED RESIDENTIAL PARKING, NOT COMMERCIAL, They ACTUALLY NEED RESIDENTIAL PARKING. CORRECT. OKAY. SO um, I DID HAVE SOME COMMENTS ABOUT THIS PROPOSAL IN THE SENSE THAT OUR PLANNING CODE, um, IF WE ARE FOLLOWING THE PLANNING CODE FOR THIS um, SPECIFIC PROPOSAL. The planning code section 150D and 204.5B actually stipulates that we should not be renting parking spaces um, from neighborhood or doing this conversion from residential to commercial parking. So if we were to do this conversion, we're actually not following planning um, requirements in the sense that we are supposed to, this proposal was presented to us as Um, kind of in alignment with all of planning policies. Also in terms of the parking rates, um, in this proposal, the parking rate is set as the minimum floor of $4 per hour. That is actually the ceiling amount, which is you cannot charge more than $4 per hour for parking in the city. So I'm just not inclined to setting the floor at the maximum of what planning department would charge, nor SFMTA. Or any other regulatory body, including the dynamic pricing model that's also included in this proposal. Um, Planning Commission and SFMTA have also um, weighed in on both of these issues and stated that dynamic pricing should be used in the effort to make pricing parking cheaper and more available to the most amount of people, not charge the most to restrict parking for residents and people who need parking in the area. Um, thirdly, um, I have been, um, very privy to a lot of the parking regulations post COVID and in terms of how that impacts businesses. And, um, in fact, the opposite is actually true. Charging for parking at businesses actually deter people from shopping. It doesn't encourage people to shop and it doesn't encourage them to shop faster or more. And especially post COVID, grocery stores have been more crowded um, people do not get in and out of grocery stores quickly, um, so also placing a two-hour maximum on that specific garage with Gus next door leads to our tenants or people shopping there potentially getting $78 per a $78 tickets for going beyond the expired meter. So I have some real concerns about the impact of not only this proposal, how it would impact um, those people who are currently using the garage, shoppers in that area, people attending the local restaurants, including um, the restaurant right across the street, Tadu, which is the Ethiopian restaurant. If they park there and cannot get served in two hours, um, a patron would technically get not only that parking fee, but also a $78 ticket. Um, I do believe that there is, um, a need for the Luma Hotel to actually um, have some type of offsite parking. I do believe that there is a huge demand for, um, as um, Pam said, our residents do need parking. Um, I just think that this proposal is a little bit um, heavy handed, and um, I would like to help all parties and do something that would be in the interest of not only the residents or, you know, the business and putting them against each other. Um, Also understanding that UDR does um, pay a cost for this or for those spaces being empty. But um, I'd like to offer to my commissioners to make specific adjustments to this proposal so that we can actually um, come to a happy medium that actually addresses the concerns of the residents um, as well. And would like to open it up to discussions with my fellow commissioners if you're amenable to that.
5: Commissioners, if I could just make one comment, um, I don't believe dynamic pricing or price changes are part of what approvals being sought. Any future price changes would have to come back to this commission. The commission could choose to do something else with those price with the price rates, uh, with the rate sheet, as I'm calling it. Um, but dynamic pricing, um, as happens during special events or congestion pricing, some people call it, sometimes uh, is not part of this. So I want to clarify that one point. Okay.
3: Uh, I, I agree with the chair that uh, I don't love the way this is written um, I am not proposing now but discussing I would love to just get rid of I would hate to have future hearings in which people say we want to raise our hourly rate from four bucks to six bucks I think that would be a waste of staff time and commission time, and and everyone's time. Um, I uh, so I'd love I'd love to get rid of that and accomplish the goals of special event parking prevention by other means. Uh, I'm sure we could come up with language that says you cannot. You know, the rates must be consistent from week to week, or something to that effect, to avoid you know the event gouging. Uh, that the CAC wanted to avoid. Um, uh, It does seem to me, uh, Dr. Scott, that uh, the results of this would be 10 new BMR parking spaces, which would be uh, a win for for our affordable housing tenants uh, and owners. Um, And I just... uh, yeah, those are my those are my basic feelings on how I would modify this.
5: Uh, if I could make one comment as the commission deliberates, um, we can also take comments from the commission and bring this item back. You can continue this item if you feel it still needs more work, or you have concerns about uh, the things being proposed. So I don't want you to feel as if forced to make a decision right now unless you're comfortable uh, and you agree with what's being proposed to you. So I just want to offer that up as you think as you. Make your comments.
12: And Madam Chair, if I may, yes. um, I did just want to observe that, you know, I know there are various policy goals that are at play here and that, that may be somewhat in tension with one another. So um, we had heard loud and clear from the CIC and from staff that there's real concern around people parking for events. And so that's, you know, it was really important to us to, to clearly state these are the restrictions that would deter people from parking for the Chase Center or for Oracle, um, but to, to your point that is somewhat in tension with the goal of creating spaces that people can park to go out to dinner and, and that kind of thing so I you know I think the applicant team is very willing to work with staff on refining you know any of those details if we hear from you about you know what the the main policy goals are um, that we should be uh, trying to address
0: thank you um so um, I did have a chance to review SFMTA policy, planning department policy around parking, parking charges. I also did a survey of the area in terms of what um, our standard street parking, as well as other lots, hotels, et cetera in that area. um, I did do a comprehensive study of um, also SFMTA's recent study that just happened in 2020 um, in regards to um, pricing in that area and the availability of um, parking spots. And um, one of the things that kind of came up in terms of how they designed um, what they would charge in certain neighborhoods, because as you know, San Francisco, we have different neighborhoods with different pricing. Um, The four, or the five basic areas that they really took into account was um, ensuring that any kind of um, parking fee policy um, include data collection and analysis, also, that there would be policy development and a framework um, set for um, the parking fees, um, technology impl- implementation, which is basically um, our um, T- UDR partners covering that. But then also, um, two of the biggest components that I felt um, were not addressed in this proposal was around public outreach and education, as well as monitoring and evaluation. And so, um, as Commissioner Ludlam said, you know, one of his concerns is that. Um, because this is under the purvey of the commission, and this is a separate thing that's happening. It's not um, something that's kind of governed by planning department. We do as a commission have a responsibility to um, set these rates and to set them at a rate that's um, um, inconsistent with the neighborhood and the neighborhood needs, and also make that same determination with the parking spaces. So um, I'd like to kind of end this now and propose that um, we, one, um, change the number of parking spots, um, knowing that we have such a high demand of low income persons in this neighborhood needing residential parking, and this is a residential parking um, spot Im- um, initially. Um, I'd like to change the, that number from 10 to 15. Um, I understand the business case, um, at UDR still needing to be able to cover, you know, the costs of those additional parking spaces. So instead of it being 34 offsite, short-term park public parking, that would change to 29, um, because we're not doing any changes on the Gus parking spaces, because that was already approved back in 2018, that would remain at 25 and then, um, in terms of, um, the parking, um, as we see in the schedule, there's um, the parking maximum. I would raise that from zero to four hours. Um, and um, IN THAT AREA, THE PARKING IS CURRENTLY SET AT $2 AN HOUR. Um, TO MEET THIS PROPOSAL HALFWAY, um, I WOULD SUGGEST WE LOOK AT $3 AN HOUR AS BEING THE SET um, CEILING RATE.
5: Madam chair, if there are no other uh, comments from the commission, we can take uh, all the different comments into consideration and uh, work with ED- UDR and staff to bring an item back, if that's what you would like. Um, there are quite a few comments today. I don't know if you wanted to approve them with those changes or have us bring it back. It's obviously your decision.
3: And commission- I would move to continue the item uh, for further work between staff and the applicant.
14: I agree as well. Thank you.
10: Uh, if I may, it would that. be best to...
14: I'm sorry, I second that. <laughs> hey,
5: Madam Chair, before you continue vote, uh I think... Do, to continue Rall's it to comment. a date specific
10: yes. so it's not... Uh, indefinite.
0: Uh, I think Tamblyn, did you have another comment before?
4: I did just have a um, quick comment uh, for folks to take into consideration as we reevaluate. Uh, Chair Bracket, thank you for raising the continuing demands for residential parking uh, in the neighborhood. I think it would be very helpful to understand. I, I, it, it, it appears that the demand for the current lot is based only on the tenants of the associated building, but if there continues to be a need in the neighborhood for market rate and obviously below market rate, uh, understanding what that demand for the parking uh, is as we uh, evaluate converging uh, these, these spots from residential use to non-residential use. Thank you.
3: And uh, I would also add for our data gathering um, though, OCII has not done it. Sounds like the city has done many other conversions, so why don't we look at uh, a comp list of what the you know added BMRs are and other conditions of approval um, for those conversions throughout the city?
0: Yes, also director Koslovsky, if we can um also double up on that. Um, as we know, a lot of the low-income developments um, typically don't have the one-to-one ratio in terms of parking. Either typically don't have any parking at all, or very, very limited. Um, typically, and only having bike and maybe a few um, um, disabil- disabled um, or ex- disabled disability-accessible spots. So, being able to really um, hone in on. The number that's there. Um, also, there is one other caveat that's in this proposal around the lottery and how that outreach would be. Um, I would hate for us to start a new lottery just for these spaces. I think that what can be what can happen is you can compile the list of the six developments that are included in this proposal, and maybe um, look at them in terms of like the the last FIFO or last first first person in or last person out. Um, Tenured with the COP restrictions, which place COP persons at the top of the list. So I, I would hate for these, all these six apartments to be having to apply again, you know, and then also be let down again. I'd rather us go off of the existing lists and just prioritize them based on the calendar dates for each development.
3: um director uh what would be a reasonable time frame to uh gather this information uh and work out a new proposal from the applicant
5: um your your next meeting is July 18th i believe um there's no meetings on July 14th except at the barbecue um and uh, i believe so then august sometime in august would seem to be the the next nearest time i think july is too soon um But if we work uh, expeditiously and we're able to come in July, we certainly propose it through agenda setting. But I would propose here uh, August.
3: Uh, Well, I would move to continue this item uh, until either July 18th or the subsequent August meeting.
14: And I second that.
0: Um. We have a motion on the floor. Um, Madam Secretary, can you please call roll?
1: Commission members, please announce your vote to continue this item um, to a future date, either July 18th or another meeting in August. Please announce your vote when I call your name. Commissioner Aquino? Yes. Commissioner Drew? Yes. Commissioner Scott? Aye. Vice Chair Ludlam? Aye. And Chair Brackett?
0: Aye. Madam Chair, the vote is five ayes. This um item is um sorry <laughs> continued until the July 18th August 2nd meeting. Thank you. And um, just correct it's
1: August 1st or the oh, second sorry. meeting in August. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Sorry. August okay. 1st or the second meeting in August. Thank you. Um Madam Chair, I mean Madam Secretary, can you please call the next item? At this
1: time, members of the public who wish to provide oh I'm sorry. The next order of business is item six, public comment on non-agenda items. If there are any members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this item, please call 415-655-0001. Enter access code 2590-760-7128, followed by the pound sign, then the pound sign again to enter the call. Please press star 3 to be placed in the queue. If you're already listening to us by phone and would like to provide public comment, please press star 3. And we'd like to begin by inviting members of the public here in person to come up to the podium to provide your comment. If there are members of the public who would like to provide comment online or by phone, please press star three. Madam Chair, we do not have any members of the public wishing to comment on non-agenda items.
0: Seeing no other further public comment, we're closing um, the public comment section and moving. uh, Madam Secretary, can you call the next item?
1: The next order of business is item 7, report of the chair. Madam Chair.
0: Um, There are no reports from the chair today. Um, Please call the next item.
1: Next order of business is item 8, report of the executive director. Director Koslowski.
5: Thank you, Madam Secretary, Uh, Commissioners, members of the public. I have two items to update you on, um, but before I do that, I'd like to ask uh, General Counsel Morales to uh, address um, some of the motion, some comments on the motion for the bond refunding item. Mr. Morales. Uh,
10: Commissioners, um, there is a question that's been raised about the scope of your approval for the the resolution that authorizes us to move forward with the refunding bonds. That was the second item of that you heard regarding bonds today. Um, and the way that Commissioner uh, Ludlum characterized it, it sounded like um, you were authorizing only the underwriter selection, but indeed the resolution is much broader. And I would like um, to clarify that that was your intent to approve the resolution that is uh, before you in the record as opposed to just the underwriting.
3: Uh, that was my intention. Uh, do we need to repeat?
10: Uh... No, I, I think it's clear if that is your intention. Um, the, the procedure would be to rescind your previous vote and then revote on the entire motion to be perfectly clear about it. Uh, if you're willing to do that that would be the appropriate procedure
3: I'm I'm willing to do that okay uh, so <clears throat> shall we move to rescind the previous uh, approval of the second item in today's hearing
10: Un- under item 5c of
3: under item 5c
4: <clears throat> I'll second that motion
10: Now, is there, okay, there no. needs to be public discussion
0: and- Madam Secretary, can you call for public comment,
1: please? At this time, members of the public who wish to provide public comment on, again, 5C, please call 415-655-0001. Enter access code two five nine zero seven six zero seven one two eight. Press the pound sign, then the pound sign again to enter the call. Then press star, then three to be placed in the queue. If you are on the phone and would like to provide public comments, please press star then 3 to be placed in the queue. We'll begin with members of the public here in person. If you'd like to provide a comment on this item, please come up to the podium at this time. We'd like to move to the members of the public who joined us remotely. If you'd like to provide a comment, please press star 3. Madam Chair, there are no members of the
0: public wishing to comment on this item. We are now going to close public comment and open it up to my fellow commissioners for any questions or comments or any
10: motions.
7: And Just, do we, do just to
10: clarify, a- <clears throat> this is the motion to rescind the motion uh, that had previously been approved that referred only to the underwriter selection. And so a a yes vote will rescind that so you can take an action on the full resolution.
2: The motion to rescind needs to happen.
0: So right now we are discussing the motion to rescind um, set by um, Commissioner Ludlam and um, seconded by Commissioner Drew. So if you don't have any comments or discussions, then I can call for the vote for that to rescind or Does any other commissioner have a comment? No comment. Okay. Madam Secretary, can you call for the vote?
1: Commission members, please announce your vote to rescind the original um, motion for 5C. Um, Please announce your vote when I call your name. Commissioner Aquino. Yes. Commissioner Drew. Yes. Commissioner Scott. Aye. Vice Chair Ludlam. Yes. Chair Brackett. Aye. Madam Chair, the vote is five ayes.
10: And uh, so the, now we would request that. Oh, yeah, sorry.
0: The motion now passes, and now we are um, opening up to a potential motion to approve the entire um, item 5C, which is authorizing the issuance of the tax allocation refunding bonds as permitted in section 341. Points, I mean, 34177.5A1 of the California Health and Safety Code, and an aggregate principal amount not to exceed eighty-five million dollars. So we are now on the floor to discuss the full proposal that was before us earlier.
3: I would move to approve agenda item 5C as written. I second that.
0: Madam Secretary, please call for the vote. Commission
1: members, please announce your vote for item 5C when I call your name. Commissioner Aquino. Yes. Commissioner Drew. Yes. Commissioner Scott. Aye. Vice Chair
0: Ludlam. Aye. And Chair Brackett. Aye. Madam Chair, the vote is five ayes. Motion carries, and I am going to turn it back over to um, Director Koslofsky for his executive director report.
5: Thank you, Madam Chair and uh, commissioners. Thank you for that. Appreciate the, the revote on that, just to make sure that that uh, bond issuance, uh, there was no concerns about that so two items I wanted to update you on one was the replacement housing legislation that we're seeking at the state tomorrow is our first hearing in the assembly Uh, it is the assembly local government committee Um, that is tomorrow at 1.30 participation in that committee can't be by phone it can only be in person or written Um, so I won't be providing a phone Uh, Call in line as I had done previously for this committee our next potential committee is at the assembly housing committee Which should be on uh, June 28th and so those are the assembly hearings that we have scheduled so far Uh, tomorrow's is the only one that is um, Set so far Uh, the housing one is Prospective that's when they normally schedule it. We're just not agendized and we won't know until a few days before Um, but so far we haven't had any major concerns uh, that we haven't been able to answer from the committee members or their consultants Uh, and Senator Weiner has been doing a great job um, arguing for this in each one of the committees Um, so just wanted to update you on that and I'll continue to let you know how that progresses. Um, I wanted to acknowledge also uh, Maddie Scott from the Freedom West Homes who uh, has accompanied me as a witness there as well as Dr. Veronica Honeycutt from the Hunters Point Shipyard Citizens Advisory Committee. They've been doing great work. And um, tomorrow, uh, Jim Morales, general counsel, will, will join me as well. And a quick update on the OCAI's budget process. Uh, this commission had two hearings on the budget. Um, la- June 9th was our first Board of Supervisors budget hearing. Um, and we presented that budget there. Uh, we had no concerns or questions from the committee. That, that committee is chaired by Supervisor Connie Chan, and there are other members of the committee, Supervisor Mandelman, Safai uh Ronin, and Walton. Um, there were a couple comments from the community. Um, some folks had concerns that we were building lots of parks, but that there were people who were homeless and that more affordable housing was needed. Uh, they made that comment, and there were also concerns about um, uh, contamination at the Hunters Point shipyard, so there were comments from the public on that. Um, our next round of hearings will be June 27th, and then finally in July, the board will approve the final budget. I just want to close out on that. I want to send a special thank you to Mina Yu and Rosa Torres and John Daigle, who did exceptional work on preparing for that uh, board of supervisors' hearing. So thank you. That's it.
0: Thank you, Director Kozlowski, for your report. of um, my fellow commissioners have any questions or comments? No, sir. Seeing no fellow um, comments from my fellow commissioner, um, Madam Secretary, can you please call the next item?
1: The next order of business is item nine, commissioners, questions, and matters. Madam Chair?
0: Um, commissioners, do you have any questions or matters? I just wanted maybe it was more appropriate uh,
4: at the end of the last item, um, but following up on the OCII budget, uh, we had had a discussion about uh, budget to actuals and more transparent reporting of agency spending, uh, was hoping to uh, check in on the progress of that and see uh, when this commission can see uh, spending spending either last fiscal year to date uh, or fiscal year, uh, this current fiscal year. Um, wh- where are we with that? <laughs>
5: Thank you, Commissioner Drew. Um, I've actually been working with uh, Rosa Torres, um, Deputy Director for Finance, on a form of presentation or form of tracking. Um, We had provided, uh, I think, to you uh, some examples of some budget to actuals um, that probably didn't get quite to your question along the lines of the information that's presented to the Commission. and so we are working. We have a we have a draft that I don't think is ready for review by the commission yet. And I was going to reach out to you offline to show you a draft of it and um, get some feedback from yourself and uh, Chair Brackett. and um, then decide when when to bring that back to the commission if the commissioners thought that was needed. So this is a draft.
4: Yeah. Thank you. And when can I? Um, when can we expect that follow up conversation to happen?
5: It could probably happen by the end of this week.
0: Thank you. Okay, do we have any other fellow comments or questions? Madam Secretary, can you call the next item please?
1: The next order of business is item 10, closed session. There are no closed session items. The next order of business is item 11, adjournment. Madam Chair.
0: Fellow Commissioner, does anyone have a motion to adjourn?
2: Madam Chair, I move that the meeting be adjourned. I second.
5: Okay.
0: Our meeting today is being adjourned at 2.56 p.m.